So God is up to good. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm uh, thankful for how that God continues to work in our lives. Um, it's, it's not about, uh, well, we have certain patterns or something, so certain thoughts that we feel that this is what God has to do in order to be or do something, you know, to be spectacular or to be really a good Christian. These are the things that have to happen. And, you know, I, I think the purpose, we become a little misguided. Uh, we, we begin to think of God in perspectives that are more human than divine and that God is at work whether we think he is, is or not. And so we need to remember that God is up to good. He's something good is going to happen in our lives and we are looking and expecting. You know, we're expecting, you know, if, if you don't get any mail, you know, you're not expecting any mail, you, go, you don't go to the mailbox, right? How many go to the mailbox expecting? More bills, more bills, and more bills, right? Okay, you go to the mailbox because you expect something. How many turn on light switches? Why? You're expecting there to be light. You know the difference between a light bulb and a laser? Focus. <laughs> 100 watts diffused can light a room, but 100 watts focused can be cut metal. So you see in our lives, some of the things that we look at, we see them one way, but they can also be seen another. And whenever I think of how that God is at work in our lives, we are used to seeing perhaps God in the diffusing, the, the light and the purpose. But sometimes we forget about the everyday little things that we do and say. Those are the laser, as it were, beams. Those are the focused attention of God to, for, with people. So the, the little words that we say, the, the things that we think, and the, how we begin to do something good for other people, these are the laser, the focus where my light takes form and my light then takes um, the form of a gift or words or uh, you know, compliments or doing, whatever it may be, we have that type of response. So I'm, I'm continuing with our message last week, uh, God Changed Me, in, in Colossians uh, chapter 3, but I've, I've gone with the assumption that God has changed us, and the title for today's uh, message is, You Can Use Me. <laughs> you Can Use Me. So if God has changed me, God is then changing us for a purpose. There is, there is no lack of purpose or lack of direction with God. God knows the end from the beginning. <laughs> he is the Alpha and the Omega, beginning and the end. That he knows when the universe was created and he knows when it's all going to end. He knows all of that. And in our little chapters in our lives of the books of our life or the book of our life, God is already there. He's already written it. And so we are in the process of living it, living it out by faith and living it out by God's gifts and God's strength. And we're still in that process of choosing, you know. We're not set here and, you know, follow some... I like what you said about the blue... What's the blue... The blue, the blue highway. Now, when I heard the, heard the... He has the title of a book, is The Blue Highway. And I thought, wow, there's a, it's either on the blues singing them or it's about gloom and despair and agony on me because it's blue and the blue highway is on the map there are red highways and there are blue highways the red highways are the interstates and the blue ones are the secondary roads 
So taking the blue highways, <laughs> finding out and seeing all the scenic places that are, that, are, that are in America, so that we find them by going the blue highway. So in our lives, God is at work, and sometimes, you know, in my goal, whenever, we, whenever I travel, or we have traveled in the past, is you get on the interstate, you get there, and you get, you get started, you know? You, you know, if you're going to have a vacation, you got to get there. And if you're going to get there, you got to have fun, and you got to enjoy this, and you're going to enjoy it whether you like it or not, and you've got to complete your enjoyment by the end of the week because you've got to get home and get started again. Amen. <laughs> you know? And too often we think of our lives with Christ that very same way. I got to give my life to Christ. I got to do the right thing. I got to say the right thing. I got to get there, be there, do there, and go home and, go home and be happy about it. <laughs> and know that God has helped me and it's all over and boy, I can't wait to go to bed. You know, so we, we look at this and we need to have a new focus. And Colossians 3 gives us that, gives us that focus. So if you're serious about living this new, new resurrection life with Christ, act like it. Live like it. That's what we, we spoke on that last week. Live like it. Live like you are expecting this life to be uh, a resurrected life. It's a renewed life. It's a, a life filled with expectation. Uh, pursue the things over which Christ resides. If God's not involved with it and God is not behind your doing it, then don't go there. You know, God can lead us in many different places, and he can lead us in many different directions. And uh, he, he, you know, it's important that we see God's ministry and God's touch on our life in a very unique way. And that Christ presides over what we are, what we are endeavoring to do. I don't want to spend too much long on this because we already did this. Uh, don't shuffle along with your eyes to the ground, you know. Absorbed in the things in front of you. Don't shuffle through life just looking at the, you know, gloom, despair, and agony on me. You know, don't go that way. Look up. Be alert to what is going on around Christ. Look at what's going on around Jesus. What's going on around him? Here is, this is, this is a kind of a, when, when you think of it, we wanna, it says a little later here that we live an obscure life like Jesus. Well, an obscure life meant uh, that he is not Pharaoh and he is not the Roman emperor and he's not the Roman governor. He has an obscure life of just blessing people and doing good all day, all the time, performing miracles and teaching and teaching the word and giving people words of life and giving them hope. And he's just that obscurity of doing something right continually all, all the time for for, for others. Your life is not, your, your old life is dead. Your new life, which is your real life, even though invisible to spectators, is with Christ in God. So we are involved in this relationship with God and that it is involved in a continual process of, of growth and development and becoming. We are continuing to become. You know, it's... Um, Springtime, some of you uh, may have been planting or thinking about planting flowers. And, of course, my dad would say you never plant any before the, what's coming up the holiday? Labor Day? Memorial Day. Yes, Labor Day's at the end, Memorial's at the beginning. So you never plant anything around here until Memorial Day. 
you know, any of the flowers or whatever because you're going to get a frost or a freeze. You're not safe until after that date. Well, we are looking at planting. and We plant them with what? With an expectation of what they will become. Let me show you what they became last year, you know. Here are the pictures and whatever. So we plant with an expectation of what will become. So in our lives, we are looking for something good is going to happen. We are looking for God. And here is your life, the scripture says. Here is your life. When Christ shows up again on this earth, you'll show up to the real you, the glorious you. Meanwhile, be content with obscurity like Christ. So here we are. We know that when the world comes to an end, we don't. <laughs> you don't come to an end. Our life is eternal in Christ, and when Christ returns again at the consummation of everything, we're going to be right there with him. We are going to be there with him. So no matter what is going on now, we live with hope and expectation. God is at work. Can we just simply thank God for where we're at, even though we don't understand why we're here? Okay. That was a unanimous. <laughs> that, was, that was unanimous. <laughs> yeah, yes, yes. Yeah. Can we thank God for just being where we're at? If we can't thank God for being where we're at, how are we going to be someplace else? We're not going to be thankful there. So being grateful to God is an, is an attitude and an expectation that we are believing that God has brought me to this place and that God is going to continue to lead me on from here. So expectation and thankfulness is looking forward. We are grateful for yesterday, but yesterday has nothing compared to what's going to happen tomorrow. And so we have this expectation of where we're going and how that God is going to get us there, and he may take us down the blue highway, <laughs> the scenic route. Rhonda's brother, um, uh, he's passed, but... You know, you never wanted to go on a trip with him. Never. I mean, he, well, there's two different brothers. One's a brother-in-law, one's a brother. Her, her brother would not, he would take the most backward route possible. He would take them four days to get to Florida. I mean, can you imagine that? Four days, maybe five days, because he would not get on a, a four-lane highway. He refused. Oh. I can only take so much scenery, you know? <laughs> Let's get there and get started, you know? Well, I <laughs> uh, won't tell you about the other family members, but, you know, she's got that family, you know? <laughs> she's got a really great family. <laughs> so here's your life. Christ is with us. He is the hope of glory. Now, if God has changed us, God, you can use me. He can use us. See, we have this um, not good enough mentality. You know, I don't have this degree. I don't have that degree. You know, I don't have this. I don't have that. I don't have the platform. I don't have the place. I don't have, you know, forget that. You see, God has a way of taking things that are not enough and multiplying them. Five loaves and two fish. Here's a little boy's, you know, five flat pancakes and two sardines. So here's a little boy's lunch, okay? So God is going to take a little boy's lunch, and he's going to feed 5,000 people, plus women and children. 
So we can't use the excuse, what I have isn't enough. Or how about the excuse that, well, I can't talk very well. Well, that was Moses. He stuttered. And, and God, what did he use for Moses? He used a rod, a stick. He picked this walking stick up. How many have ever been out and picked up a walking stick in the woods? All right, yeah, we've been out of here. What if, you, what if we said, God says, throw that down, I'm going to make it a snake. Okay? Oh, it's a snake. Well, pick it up again. No, you made it a snake. Snake, you pick it up. <laughs> you know? So he grabs it by the tail and it becomes a, a stick again. He takes that same stick and he puts it in over the Red Sea and the sea parts. He takes that stick a little later and hits rocks and water comes out of it. There's what's going on. God is saying, use what's in your hands. Because God isn't limited by, what's, by what it looks like. He has only, in time, only the, he has the intention of taking that which we have and making it miraculous. You see, making what we have miraculous. It isn't the, the, the stick is miraculous. It's the God behind the stick. It's the obedience of the person to do as God said. And, you know, and we see what happens with this stick, this rod. You know? how, about, how about David? You know? He's going to, he has the biggest obstacle of his life. His young life, the biggest problem of a nation comes before David. And David says, I'll go fight Goliath. <laughs> He's an idiot. <laughs> David is. Not Goliath, you know, but he, David's an idiot. I mean, what kid, a ruddy kid, 12, 13, 14 years old, is going to go out and take on some guy twice his size who is an experienced military man whose shield is bigger than him, whose spear David can't even pick up, let alone throw, and he's going to go fight him. <laughs> and what's he going to fight him with? going to fight him with a stone and a sling and a slingshot you see <laughs> we're either not too bright <laughs> or we just have to simply believe that what we have is very important what we have where we are at the skills and the giftings that we have are what makes us different you see we as Christians, we as believers, must understand that God is up to something good. And he is not limited by what we have. He is only limited by what we will do with what we have. You see, what we have is more than enough to accomplish the task that God has given us. You know, David, it was his it was his confrontation with Elijah that took him from an excuse, uh, excuse me, Elijah. It was his confrontation with Goliath that took him from being an obscure shepherd boy in the back, out in the middle of nowhere to national prominence where people would say, make songs about him. And it all happened in a matter of moments. You see, what God is up to, he's up to something good. And God will use what we have so we say god use me you can use me lord you change me and then you use me you use me for a purpose now what are the 
the stick? <laughs> what is the sling? What is the stone that we have? What I have is nothing in the face of the giant. You know, I got a slingshot and I got a stone. I've just got me <laughs> and my abilities and what I do. But you see, God is at work. <laughs> okay? God is at work right here. Because what we are and who you are and who we touch is going to make a difference. It's going to make a difference in the lives of our world. <laughs> okay, preacher's been hitting the communion juice. <laughs> God's going to make a difference in our world by us? The answer is yes. You know, I was thinking, I was thinking about this, um, the uh, report from Enlase. I was reading it and, and, and how that, you know, David, you know, grew up here and, and everything. We, he was just a ruddy kid in a the, in the, in the pew that wouldn't stay still and wouldn't keep quiet and, you know, all that kind of stuff. But he's done something very unique in El Salvador and around the world in, you know, uh, Tibet, not Tibet, Nepal. And, you know, he's done something very unique. But you see, we don't have the ability to see what the effects of what we're doing. We don't have the ability to see how far out this goes. There's a story, and I, I related this, I think, Wednesday night at, uh, at uh, a Bible study. And, and I don't have all the facts correct, so please forgive me. You know, uh, the, 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 the story is true, but I may not have countries and all that correct. But anyhow, there's this um, missionary couple, and they were from Europe. I don't remember the country, whether it's Switzerland, you know, or whatever, somewhere up in the Scandinavian country. And they were going to make a difference in Africa. And this was, this was a long time ago. Uh, they were going to make a difference in Africa, so they, this husband and wife, they were married, and they went to the Congo. And while they were in the Congo, you know, the lady, she, you know, she's pregnant, and they're going back into the Congo, back into these remote areas. And as they're going, you know, she's becoming more pregnant and more pregnant. Her pregnancy is developing. I don't think you can become more pregnant. You're either pregnant or you're not. Okay, so, you know, you're either pregnant or you're not. You know, it's just no more pregnant. You're just Okay, so you either believe or you don't, you know. <laughs> you either believe or you don't. You're either pregnant or you're not pregnant. So anyhow, they go on this, you know, they're going back there, and their goal is to win Africa, win the Congo, make a difference for, uh, in the Congo. So they're going, and uh, her pregnancy is continuing, and she's becoming weaker and whatever. But most of the, everywhere they've gone, none of the tribal people would allow them to be there to stay there. Finally, they convinced an area, a tribe, to allow them to give them some ground or something where they could go and stay and have their baby. Well, she, they, one place gave her uh, them a land up on a, up on a hill away from the tribe because they were in their suspicions and things, didn't want whatever was going on to, you know, with these white people to bring into the Congo. So anyhow, she has her baby. So she's there. <clears throat> Three five months, uh, and she was very weak from the trip and from the pregnancy, and she was probably, the child was two or three months old, and, and the mother died. Well, the husband, while they are there and ministering in the Congo, 
there's this one convert, this one child comes to know Christ. And the time that they were there, they spent with this one boy. And I don't know if he's seven, eight years old, but anyhow, they have one convert and the wife dies and here's this man with one convert and, and his wife has passed and a three-month-old baby. He's devastated. How can God have brought us here to win the nation and of, 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 in, to win the Congo and how could he bring us here and how could that ever happen that we could do anything and now my wife is dead and he was just devastated. So he leaves the Congo. And on his way out, he gives the child to some Dutch missionaries. The Dutch missionaries take the child, and both of them are killed. And the, the child then goes to a couple of American missionaries. And the American missionaries take the child, raise the child, and they come back to the United States. And so they're working and doing their thing, and the child grows, and you know, an adult, and um, knows of her past. The missionaries did not hide her past. And they talk about it. So she goes back to where her mother had died. And while she's there, she sees that the, the Christian community in that whole region was almost a million people. Almost a million people had come to know the Lord from that one boy that was saved when those missionaries came. And then she went to find her father, who was an alcoholic, who, uh, who had children, you know, he's married again, and he had given up his faith in God. He'd given up on God because he was devastated by what had happened. And when she got there, she told her father about that place in the Congo where his mother, where his wife was buried and told him that over 800,000 to a million people had come to know Jesus Christ through that one child. <laughs> he gave his life back to Christ and his life, you know, that his mission in life was not over, was not a failure. You see, these are the things that we don't recognize how the smallness, smallest situations, and we would think that it's devastating, it's it's not true, but, you know, at our council, the guy, the general superintendent spoke on this and used it, and he had the picture of the burial place of this woman who died giving, you know, a, a few months after the birth of her child. At the bottom of the hill, she was buried, and there's a white cross and outline of white stones around where her grave is, and that grave is almost like a sacred place to all of the believers because this woman gave her life for them. You see, and that's why I say that the little things that we do in our life, here is your life. When Christ shows up again, we're going to be with him. This woman, you say, well, she gave a sacrifice. She sacrificed her life. And for what? For one child. But you see, the sacrifices that we have we can, we can recognize that, God, you can use me. Whether it's the, the, the money, the loose change we put in for the body barrels for the, you know, what is it called, Glenda? The Boys and Girls Missionary Challenge change for change in the world or, or whatever. And, you know, so many cents can buy material for a child. You see, the little things that we do make a difference. The little things that we do have an impact. 
Maybe not immediately, but the ripple effect. You know, the ripple effect. You ever see those domino things that people put together? They have put it there and they put over a domino and it just goes off, you know, and they have a million or 500,000 or whatever dominoes and it all goes down in a matter of minutes. It's like, my gosh, you wasted your life for that, you know? But we see the domino effect. One gets another, gets another, gets another, gets another. You see, in your life, the good that you give and the good that you do, we don't see where it goes. We don't see how far out it reaches. But God has a purpose and God has a plan. And, and he sees here uh, in verse 5 through 8, and that means killing off everything connected with the way of death. You know, the things in our life that would not continue to promote life. You know, promiscuity, impurity, lust, doing whatever you feel like, grabbing whatever attracts you. That life is shaped by things and feelings instead of God. Uh, verse 9, don't lie to one another. Oh, so here we go. We want to make sure that we tell the truth. You're done with that old life. It's like a filthy set of ill-fitting clothes. How many have ill-fitting clothes? <laughs> what happened? They shrunk. <laughs> we grew. <laughs> Things changed. Well, they're like a set of ill-fitting clothes. Strip them off and put them in the fire. Now you're dressed in a new wardrobe. Every item of your new way of life is custom made by the Creator. Everything that we have in life right now is custom made by the Creator. What's the label on your shirt? It's custom made. It's from a French company, J.C. Penney. <laughs> that was not. <laughs> but you see that we're life, our life, our garments are custom made. Custom made. We are praise. Everything is praiseworthy. Not because I'm doing it, but God is doing it through us. You see, we need to have the right perspective. It isn't me living life. It is God living through me. It isn't me failing. God is trying to give me strength. That it isn't me, you know, falling. I may fall flat on my face, but that doesn't matter. God is there to pick me up. He is there to dust me off. He's there to encourage. He's there to give me life. He's there to give me a clean shirt. <laughs> He's there to give me a new life, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. He is there to help me to give thanks in all things, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. God is there. He's the one who inspires my heart to give thanks. I don't give thanks because, you know, I think I should. God told me I was supposed to, so I give thanks, and I don't like it, but I'm thanking you. Thank you, anyhow, God, and, you know, get something better. <laughs> but God has given us. Now you're dressed in a new wardrobe. Every item of your new way of life is custom made by the Creator with His label on it. All the old fashions are now obsolete. And it goes on there. Verse 12. So, chosen by God for this new life of love, you are chosen. Sometimes we think we chose God. The Bible says, you did not choose me, I chose you. 
It is the will of God that no one be lost. So God called your name. He, he knows your name. He knows right where you're at. He called you. He chose you because he put inside of you all the giftings and all the abilities. And then in this whole process of living, he's going to bring that out. He chose us. He has chosen the life that is before us. And he is then going to empower us to live that life. And you see, we may only touch one person. Jeremiah preached and nobody listened. <laughs> and they tried to kill him for it. In our life, we don't need to look at, we just need to look at the one and to another one and to another one. Making a difference. An obscure life like Christ. <laughs> An obscure life like Christ. Always doing good. Doesn't mean we're not, we're not he's, he's the Roman emperor. He's not a Caesar. He's not a, a governor. He's not a, you know, he's not a Pharaoh. He is an obscure individual from an obscure village who goes around doing good and feeding 5,000 from five loaves and two fish, walking on water, raising the dead, <laughs> comforting those who mourn, making wine at a, Sarah at, a, at a wedding, turning water into wine. An obscure life of doing one thing at a time to one person at a time, to one group at a time. He's just making a difference. So chosen by God for this new life of love, dressed in the wardrobe, picked out for you. Huh. I didn't pick this out, Rhonda did. <laughs> Your wardrobe is picked out by God. Put it on. Compassion, kindness, humility, quiet strength, discipline, even tempered. <laughs> Content with second place. Now, that has a hard, hard message because we think we should strive to be second. No. When you're in an argument, there's one-on-one. -on -one, you don't have to win to, to be right. You don't have to win to prove your point. You can be content with second place, knowing that you spoke the truth in love. Because this person is not going to listen no matter what you say. So don't take yourself out of your wardrobe. Don't take yourself out of your giftings to prove something right. God knows. And sometimes allowing other people to be right, they end up recognizing how wrong they are. But anyhow, that's where the second place is. Don't be, it's all right to be, be second. Content, quick to forgive. Quick to forgive an offense. Forgive as quickly and completely as the master forgave you. And regardless of what else you put on, wear love. It's your all-basic, all-purpose garment. <laughs> it's my everyday garment, which is love. Let the peace of Christ keep you in tune with each other. Um, cultivate thankfulness. Let the word of Christ, his message, run the house. Instruct and direct one another using good common sense and sing, sing, sing your heart to God. So we are to be peace and thankfulness, be together in his word, in Christ, and sing to your heart's content. Wives, submit to your husbands. <laughs> Yeah, we love that, men. That's the, some, that's the one verse some men know. It's the only verse they know. And husbands, go all out to love 
your wives as Christ directed you? You see, God is the the potter, and it is not our business to shape other people's lives the way we like them, whether we're a husband or whether we're a wife, that we are to allow God be the maker, and we are to love God, and unless you are willing to die for your wife, you don't have the right to tell her what she's supposed to do. (laughs) And wives, you are to be a comfort to your husbands and to be support of them and submitting to their authority. But if if they wouldn't die for you, you don't need to submit to them. Take that to the bank or to the Bible. Parents, don't be too hard on your children. Don't try to break their will and don't try to shame their life. But allow your life to be a guiding light by the way you live. So you see, we're in this for the long haul. Do what's right in the sight of God. Have that garment of praise and thanksgiving. Recognize that you're here for the good of someone else, not for their good to you, but for their good. And as we plant those seeds, God is at work in our lives, bringing us to this place that we are making a difference in one life in one life and who knows what that one life will be amen we have a purpose you got some new clothes on today (laughs) and they are designer clothes (laughs) and they have god's design on them amen let's stand shall we thank you father for your gifts of your word of your spirit of your graciousness, of Lord, of your love and your forgiveness. We are so blessed to be your children. And God, you're making a difference in our life. We are making a difference in the lives of others. And God, only eternity will be able to tell us the fruit of our labor. So God, let us be faithful in the task. Let us be gracious with our gifts. Let us be humbled in our attitude. And Lord, may we be ever thankful ever thankful for all that you've done for us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. God bless you.